I want to dig in a little bit deeper and just show you a couple more supporting verses on this, uh, uh, the secret doctrine of the kingdom of God. And the secret doctrine of the kingdom of God, see, here's what was going on, is uh, uh, the Jews were going, hey, when are you going to establish your kingdom, right? They were, they were looking for the earthly kingdom. And uh, when's it going to happen? And when are you going to come up and, and, and kick some tail and get rid of these Romans? We're going to show that we are God's people once and for all, and we're going to establish that we're the people these Gentiles are out. And then Jesus comes along, he goes, wait a minute, the kingdom's at hand, it's right now, it's within. And most Christians are still looking for stuff external, not realizing it's in, it's in here. It's within, that's what he's trying to say. When two or three are gathered, where is he? In the midst. If one is gathered, where is he? In the midst, right? It's because we're in him and, and there's nothing that can separate us. So once you get that, that the, everything's internal, that's why constantly, and I keep sharing this over and over and over because I want you to get it. It felt like something this last week I heard from so many people online and everybody was like, man, I finally, I'm starting to get it. So I wanted to stay on this a little bit longer because this is the, the parable of parables. This is the secret of the kingdom of God is what we plant in our hearts is actually comes to pass, right? We're co-creators. And uh, anyway, so let's hit that first slide if we can. Um, all right. And uh, just, just kind of a review, when he's talking about the, the Ark of the Covenant and the temple, Exodus 25, 14, again, I want to show you, this is, this is really fun to me. So, make an atonement cover of pure gold, make two cherubims out of hammered gold at the end of the cover, make one cherub on one end and the second cherub on the other, make the cherubim of one piece with the cover at the two ends. I think that's key, is uh, the, the two cherubs and the mercy seat are all made out of one hammered piece of gold, and gold is always divinity. So that's key as we t talk about what the real temple is. It says, the cherubs are to have their wings spread out, upward, overshadowing the cover with them. The cherubim are face to each other. Doesn't that sound like John, when he, in John 1, like Baxter was talking about, and they were face to face? And so that's what's pretty interesting to me, is uh, the cherubim are to face each other looking toward the cover. Place the cover on top of the ark and put the ark in the tablets of the covenant law that I will give you. So in the old covenant, the tablets were placed where? In the physical Ark of the Covenant, right? The Ten Commandments. And what I think what's fascinating too is this, the first Ten Commandments, Moses comes down the mountain and what happens? It goes from 15 to 10. And then... <laughs> Maybe we need to show that again sometime. Isn't that funny? Mel Brooks is so classic. <laughs> I think that's funny. So... That's classic. Fifteen, ten, ten commandments. It's uh, <laughs> what did you say? Nothing, nothing. Right? <laughs> a deaf man could hear you. It's just, it's just classic. I love it. I, I, I just love the oh, that makes religious people spin through the roof, which is always fun. So anyway, place. Uh, so the, in the old covenant, the physical stones, the second set of stones, where were they placed? Into the ark, which who's the true ark? Jesus, the second set of stones, guys, you realize have never been shown to humanity. They shouldn't be. They're all over in the United States, but they, it was not meant to be shown to humanity. It was go, put these in the ark as if they've never been broken. The set of sets of stones has never been broken because if you keep no record of wrong, then how many rules and regulations and sins, behavior sins, have you ever had done? None in his eyes. Isn't that cool? He's removed that as far as the east is from the west, that system. And so the second set of stones literally were placed in the ark. And in the new covenant, he says, I'm going to place my commandments, my teachings where? In you. 
the true temple. It's pretty cool. Anyway, so put the tablets of the covenant of the law that I will give thee there. Above the cover between the two cherubs on the ark of the covenant, I will meet you there and give you my teachings and commands for all of Israel. So we've been talking about this where he meets us between the cherubs, right? That's where I'm going to meet you face to face. And so then we've talked about uh, uh, in the new covenant, we'll, we'll, one of these weeks, I'm just, I'm just feel like I'm supposed to stay on this a little bit. We'll talk more about the cherubs and everything else and what's going on with that. But then Paul comes along in the new covenant with Revelation. He goes, that was a type and shadow, the Ark of the Covenant and the temple system where God was going to meet you. The real temple is you, human beings. That's where God, is. his presence is. He's in your midst. It's within. And uh, the Ark with the tables was covered on the shoulders of the, the Levites, the priests, right? And guess where on our shoulders, what do we carry? Our head, our hearts and minds, right? And the two cherubs, the two cerebrum in the middle of your uh, the middle of your brain, the two coverings, cerebrum, cerebrum, literally means covering. And he's going to meet you between those two golden divine coverings. So that's what he's trying to show. He goes, you're divine. You have a divine piece of you where man and, man and God are one in you. You're the true temple. So everything Jesus Christ is, all his creative ability, all of his healing power, everything he is, is within you. You carry it. Isn't that wild? You're the light, you're the salt, you're everything is what all the parables we're talking about. Don't you know, you're it. You're, you're his prized possession. You were the thing that he was after and you carry his creative presence, his healing presence, his, his everything, you're it. Isn't that cool? And I was thinking about this today even. Um, I was like, huh, Ramika, when, you, when you're fighting, what are these two things on your head called right here? Isn't that interesting, the temple? You think that's coincidence that these are our temples? I was thinking about that today. I was like, huh, yeah, that's where, yeah, that actually makes sense. In the middle of your brain, that, that pineal gland is called the epiphany cerebri, where we get light, literally. And it regulates when we go to sleep and wake up. And it literally says the arc, it literally arcs like a spark plug arc in our sleep and shoots a little voltage, a little beam of light to every cell in our body. That's pretty cool to me that when he's really talking about that. If you, this is what I do. Some of you guys, when, none of us, I think, can really get a handle on how big and powerful that statement really is, that everything God is is within you. So I like to look at the, the Hubble telescopes and things like that, where just because you look at that and you go, God, that is trillions of light years. And that, that creative God, that all-powerful, supernatural God, I'm one with him? Man, have we underestimated ourselves, in my opinion. We've underestimated our creative ability and who we are. For it's too long, the church has made us these groveling little sinners hoping God will throw us a breadcrumb. And he's like, no way, man. You, the, the creative healing, everything I am, all the love I carry, you're my temple. I live with you and you, you're one with me. You're a joint heir of everything I have, you have. So that's what I'm trying to get across. And how, the secret of the king of God, it's what we plant in here, just like the seed has the power in itself to reproduce. Does that make sense? So I'm just showing you Old Covenant again, uh, and you see when they would do the Ark of the Covenant, like uh, when they would travel in the desert, they would have the kind of glory, his light would be in between the cherubims. And that's, I think that's cool, the picture. He's like, that's my Shekinah glory. I'm between the, the golden parts of you, the divine part of you is I'll meet you within. Anytime, 24-7. That's pretty cool, isn't it? So I think so much of our time is spent trying to get there busy, reading, doing Praying, fasting, all these things instead of just being, being one with the Him. And let any answer you need just come to you. 
out of worship. You don't have to be doing anything pressure-wise. He goes, I will meet you there. He takes the responsibility, I will meet you there. So he will take the responsibility to meet us. Does that make sense? So anyway, uh, let's go to the next slide. I just wanted to show you one other thing. because I, I think Psalm 91 is one of my favorites. And this is, uh, Barb knows the story. I almost got in a fist fight with this pastor about this, this psalm. It was so real to me. We were, we, were, we were kind of brand new Christians in Psalm 91, and they're like, well, you, it's not really true. I'm like, well, I don't have enough time like you guys to screw around all day. Just tell me which parts of the scriptures are true and which part aren't. Because, and that, that's when he pulled spiritual rank on me. He goes, I don't want to pull spiritual rank on me. This is what I do for eight hours a day. I'm like, oh, jeez. <laughs> Gross. Uh, spiritual rank, what is that? Right? <laughs> They're the people farthest away is the sad part. They're so far. That's where Jesus was like, man, you guys know the Bible perfectly, but your hearts are far from me. You whitewashed tombs trying to put these rules on people that you yourself can't keep. That's, uh, that's what Jesus was saying. So anyway, I think this is pretty cool what uh, King David's saying to us again. Psalm 91, he who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. So in the Old Covenant, where was that? Between the ark, between the feathers, he talks about it, right? I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God, in him I will trust. Surely he shall deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the perilous pestilence. He shall cover you with his feathers. Like if you look at the cherubs, they have like these wings and feathers on them. And under his wings, you shall take refuge. So that's what he's talking about in the old covenant where, hey, that's where God's presence is. Well, where is, where is his refuge, his fortress, everything today? your hearts and your minds. That's why it says guard that thing with everything you got. Don't start believing the wrong thing about yourselves based on experiences or what's going on. He goes, believe about what you say. Believe about who you are because I say this is who you are by faith. You're perfect, you're righteous, you're loved, you're valuable. Everything you are is, that's where you meet with him. That's where your stronghold is. That's what your fortress is, is in your hearts and your minds. Does that make sense? Where he meets with you. So that's why he's Apostle Paul and John and all the new covenant, Jesus too is so strong on be careful because this is how the secret of the kingdom of God operates. Is what's inside here is what's gonna go on outside. You guys got that pretty much, right? All right, okay, so these are just old, I could go over and over and over. These are just two that jump out right away. All right, let's get to this next slide and, and I wanna do a little bit of re repeat here. And so he's talking about the parable of the sower in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And uh, he said to them, to you has been given to know the mystery and that's strong, you can go look this up, and it literally is mysterion, a mystery or secret doctrine. That's why the secret doctrine of the kingdom of God, even though it's not a secret. But that's where they get the, the movie, The Secret. It's like, hey, this is how life works, right? Is the secret of the kingdom of God. And he said to them, do you not understand this parable? Then how are you gonna understand any parable? The sower sows the word. And by the way, that's not you and I going out and sharing Bible verses. The sower sows the word. John tells us, one John, who was the word? Jesus, well, who sowed Jesus? God, the Father, Jesus, the Holy Spirit. They sowed themselves. Does that make sense? So he's been sown into everything, but then he's, there's, a, there's also a truth to it because then in some of the parables he goes, your heart is the equivalent of the soil, which has the power to bring forth of itself. So he says, but these are the ones sold on good ground. And he tells us the ground is our hearts, the ones that are ready to receive the truth. Does that make sense? And it's not like, I believe I receive. You ever see people doing that? I believe I receive, I believe I receive. By them doing that, I know they don't understand it. Because it should almost be this amazing thing like, wow, that's true. I receive that. It's like a, when a truth, a revelation comes. Does that make sense? 
Uh, it reminds me of the first time they were praying over us to receive the Holy Spirit. <laughs> we were both like mm, grunting. Because <laughs> they made it sound like it was something you had to do, right? So we were doing good. Uh, I believe, <laughs> I'm sure we went through all the crazy things that, that I'm talking about, so I can kind of make fun of it. So not realizing that we were swimming in it the whole time, right? We were swimming in the anointing the whole time. Everything's in Christ, in the anointing. And so uh, we're trying to get it, even though we had it. All right. You can't get any more anointed than you are. Now you can get light to who you are. That's what we're trying to do. You can start experiencing what's true about you. That's what the whole thing's about. So, and he's telling them, hey, these, these are the ones sown on the good ground. Uh, those who hear the word, accept it and bear fruit. So to bear fruit, what do you need to do? It's in the heart. It's just believe what you are and who you are. That's really all it is. So then he keeps going in Mark 4, 26. said, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground and should sleep by night, rise by day. I think that's what's so fascinating to me about the pineal gland because it helps us go to sleep and rise. And it shoots this little arc to us uh, in our sleep that goes to every cell in our body. That's pretty cool to me. So here's, here's what you need to do, guys. If you plant this stuff in your heart, what do you need to do? If you, want, if you really want to do something great, what do you want to do? <laughs> Not much. Just plant the seed in your heart. You go to sleep, you wake up. You go to sleep, you wake up. It's just going to start happening on its own. And here's what I want you to get is, is uh, if, you need to, if you need any special revelation, you're going to get it if you plant the seed, right? If you need a special relationship, he'll arrange it. Because the seed, the thought of who you are and what you are has the power in itself uh, to produce on its own. And I think that's where when people don't understand this, they're rabidly trying to go get information and do this and pray and fast and all these things trying to get somewhere where they already are. He's just saying the kingdom of God operates like this, guys. Just plant the thing in your heart and in itself, it'll produce on its own. It knows how to do it. That's what we were trying to say is a good graphic for a lot of you guys online again is just take any seed. Last week, I just took a, a little apple seed that had no weight in it. When I, Rhonda, when I put it in Bree's hand, you can't even feel it. Um, it's, uh, I don't know, I don't have all my, I used to be an engineer. I don't know, is it a milligram? What is it? How much weight is that? Is that too much, too little? It's pretty light, put it that way. You, can bear, you can't, you'd have to put it on a very sensitive scale to weigh it, right? And so yet that thing you plant it in the earth, which he says your heart is like the earth. You plant that thing, this little tiny thing, and what happens? It produces a megaton tree. And it's still it's puzzling to me. I'm like, that is so cool. How does it do that? When you start meditating on that, you go, I get why this is a mystery, the mysterion of the kingdom of God. None of us can explain it. But once you get it, it's exciting. It's exciting where, like, once you get that, you can change anything in your life, literally. So whatever's not working in your life, just start planting the opposite in your heart of how you want it to look. And that thought, that, that renewing of your mind has enough power in itself to do exactly what it needs to do. If you need an education for it, you'll, you'll be inspired to get it. If you don't need one, you won't do it. Follow me? Because we've talked a lot about that. It's like, you know, knowledge is just knowledge. It's, I wrote something to to Darren Moore, I think yesterday, and I said, you know, uh, education systems, et cetera, they pride themselves on making the simple really complex. They really do. And mentally, I'm going, what, what? I've, I've met some of the craziest people I've ever met in the systems. But the kingdom is, I'm going to make the really complex simple. All you need to do is plant that system in your heart, and there's no pride in that because you can't boast about it. 
Does that make sense? You go, I can't. I don't know how it works. We just go to sleep and wake up and it just seems to happen. And this is why some things like, you, you, listen, if, if you're one of these people where it just everything seems to go wrong, don't beat yourself up, but just know you've got wrong programming. You've got the wrong stuff in there. But here's the great news. We know how to change it. So we can change any one of you to take, start planting the right things in there and you're gonna get what you've always wanted almost effortlessly. It won't be hard because that's the secret of the kingdom of God. Just like that seed doesn't struggle to produce a whole tree He's going, that, your heart doesn't struggle to produce after its kind, but the challenge is it's gonna produce weeds or good things equally. So the good news is uh, instead of beating yourself up and going, man, I can't do this, I'm not worthy, I'm this groveling little thing trying to get God to answer my prayer, that is not prayer, and we'll we'll go through that a little bit more. Um, It's planting the right things in your heart because that's what's gonna grow. Does that make sense to you guys? So if you ever get stuck, just go, wait a minute, the apple seed knows how to produce a tree. It doesn't go to education, it doesn't pray, it doesn't fast, it just does its thing. And that's what planting the right things in your heart do. There's no struggle to it, it just happens. That should be really exciting once you get it. You're like, that's it? Yeah, it's beautiful, isn't it? It's really pretty cool to me. And so anyway, you should sleep by night, rise by day, the seed will sprout and grow. He himself does not know how. Meaning, we, we can't explain it. There's no scientist, there's no religious person in the world that can explain how that apple seed makes a tree. Can't do it. For the earth yields crops by itself. What's the earth in this parable? Your heart. Your heart will produce crops by itself, and it multiplies. Anything you plant in there multiplies. That's what he's saying. First the blade, then the head, after the full grain, the head. But when the grain ripens, you will have a harvest. So here's what he's trying to say is the secret of the kingdom of God is guard this heart, guard the internal part, the divine part of you where I meet with you because it'll produce on its own. You guys got it? So that's the answer to anything is uh, it's relational. You know, if you, if you can't, uh, if relationships are hard, um, just know it's, it's just wrong programming. And most of it, it's not your fault, guys. Most of us were programmed like in our early, our really young influential age between one and seven years old, and you can go watch, uh, 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 who? Yeah, Heart Math, all that, that's what I was talking about. I'm thinking of um, Bruce Lipton and all these. You, there's some great YouTube videos if you wanna go. But what I love is the scientists are, are coming back and go, yeah, the, the, the scriptures actually have it right. And, it's, and they're not opposing to each other, but Bruce Lipton, um, uh, Joe something, I can't, he's got an Italian name, I can't remember. Amber sent me that a while back. I'm like, oh yeah, I've watched a lot of his stuff. And so anyway, um, forget it. All these, <laughs> all these really smart guys are basically all saying the same thing. They're going, hey, you know what, whatever, you, whatever is going on in here is what's gonna happen. And uh, when you're really young, you get programmed at a, at a, it becomes simple. That's why languages come really simple to kids. And everything just comes simple because they're not trying to, they're not trying to figure it out and study and read. They just live and they pick things up so fast. But after that, after seven years, et cetera, the only way really to change your subconscious is repetition, is you have to keep planting the same thing over and over and over and over. And then finally your subconscious or your heart gets it and all of a sudden it produces by itself. So the only work we do is to enter into the rest, to start planting the right things in there. Hey, here's, what, here's how, and it really, once you get this, man, it's, it's life kind of gets exciting is you go, here's what I want to plant about, here's what I want my relationships to look like. Here's what I want my business life to look like. Here's what I want my uh, health to look like. Follow me? 
you can change anything about you because the kingdom, the secret is within. So, all right. So let's go to this next, uh, next slide real quick. Uh, Mark eleven twenty three. I want to cover this real quick. And I'm, I'm going to talk to you. I've, I've talked to you this, before about this book, How Life Works, but I want to share this again. So it says, verily I say unto you. So if uh, Jesus says verily, what do you think? It's verily, right? Whosoever will say unto this mountain, be thou removed and cast into the sea and shall not doubt in his heart. So where, where's, where's, the, where's the stuff happening? In your heart. But shall believe those things he shall say shall come to pass. He shall have whatsoever he saith. Therefore, I say unto you, what things you desire, when you pray, believe that ye receive. And that's what we were talking about, aorist tense. Aorist tense means as if you've already had it, past tense, right? So prayer to most people, this is how I was, did you say your prayers today? And it's like begging God, or if you're really in a bind, you start begging God, and, and uh, that is not what true prayer is. I want to really cover that again. So because I, I see most people praying from this, desperate um, as if they're not an heir, as if they're not a son, as if they're not worthy. Like most, most prayer, I'm like, oh Lord, please, I'm such a loser. I'm such a sinner. I'm such a this. As if you can somehow find it in yourself to bless me, I'd really love a crumb. Right? <laughs> That's kind of how I was taught, right? And when I stole a little pack of BBs when I was little, Man, you get nothing from God, you evil little thing, you. <laughs> I just took some BBs. I promise I'll pay it back. But that's, that's, that's most of our upbringing, isn't it? And my mom's like, shame on you. I told you that. I didn't realize how much that really affected me until I started thinking about it. I was like, whoa, whoa. I didn't realize that was, but that was before I was seven. That's where that thing came from. And uh, I was like, ooh, wow, wow. So somehow by the time I got to the academy, it, it was off, it wore off. So I was like, anyway. But, and, uh, so anyway, so here's the thing. When you pray, believe you've received as if you've already have it, right? Then you'll have it. Not begging God, hoping it happens. It doesn't happen typically. You get frustrated and whatever. And I want to read this because I think this is really good. Some of you guys, uh, um, uh, Andrew Matthews, How Life Works. What's the other really good one that he does? Being happy, they're really good. Um, but I want to share something with you because this is it. And so he's talking about uh, um, it can't be that easy. That's what he's saying. Most of us have learned to pray in a different way, such as, God, I'm a powerless sinner. My life is a mess. Can you please fix me? This approach doesn't work very often, and now we know why. If you are filled with feelings of disappointment, powerlessness, and belief that I'm a bad person, you will create experiences that match that. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. So that's why most religions, church services, etc. if you come out of there feeling like dirt, man, stop, stop. It's, it's not good for you, actually. Uh, and it's really fascinating. It's like the, the, uh, the, the lady or the, the, the wife, the, the abused spouse, she just keeps going back. It's because it's something's internal. As they feel, and I think a lot, Brad Jerzak and we were talking, Barb and I were talking to Brad, and we we're like, a lot of the big churches, they, it's almost like we know we need a place to put our guilt, and we don't know where, so at least the pastor can flog me once a week. And it's kind of therapeutic for them. It's really weird to me, but anyway, I just prefer not, I'd prefer to get rid of the flogging if we can. And that doesn't sound like life and life more abundantly to me. So 
So here's, uh, then he he says, lost in translation. So you you ask, if the most powerful form of prayer is to feel the feelings of your wish fulfilled, why isn't that spelled out in Christian teachings? It was, but it got watered down and lost in translation. For example, in the modern King James Bible, in John 16, 24, we read, ask and ye shall receive that your joy may be full. Now, if somebody meditated on that, wouldn't that be good though, even in that? Ask and you shall receive. I really believe this. If people would just meditate on that, not God sometimes answers prayer, or if you have unforgiveness, it clogs the pipe, and all these things that I, I heard all these mega pastors tell me all this growing up. Ask and you shall receive. Does that sound like keys to answered prayer? It's a short book, that's why they don't write it. Ask and you shall receive, so that your joy may be full. Doesn't that sound like a good father like we were just reading? That's a good, good father. Ask and you shall, but I want to get to his point. So what was lost? Compare this with the original text. Here's what uh, one of the original translations says. Ask without hidden motive. Be surrounded by your answer. Be enveloped or enveloped by what you desire, meaning be surrounded by your desire as if it's already happened. See it in your mind's eye. Use your imagination to see it as if it's already done. That's what he's trying to say in the same verse. This is still John 16, 24 in one of the original translations. Be enveloped by what you desire that your gladness may be full. Let me read that again. Ask without hidden motive, meaning be straightforward. Just be surrounded by what you want. Feel it. Be enveloped by the answers if you already have it. Then your gladness may be full. In other words, feel it all around you, already complete. Traditional cultures the world over acknowledge the power of feeling. The Navajo Indians understand that you don't wish for rain. You feel the rain. You give thanks to it as if it's already arrived. And that's, uh, that's Dr. Greg Braden's book. Um, I forget what it is. Here, hold on. I'll look up the note if you want to look at it. Uh, Prayers of the Cosmos, Meditations on the Aramaic Words of Jesus. That was the Aramaic translation of John. So, uh, isn't that interesting? And he shares that story. What he's talking about the Navajos, he was with them and they needed rain. There was a drought. And so this guy goes out and he does this thing. Like an hour later, it starts pouring outside of Albuquerque. He's like, what did you do? He goes, oh, I just was there until I felt the rain. Then I knew it was coming. And sometimes Christians just get freaked out by that. Yet that's the, Where do you think they get it? The original source of everything, right? Does this make sense to you? So therefore I say to whatsoever things you desire, when you pray, believe you receive them, then you'll have them. So prayer is not begging as if you're not worthy. He's like, I've blessed you with every spiritual blessing. Everything I have is yours. Just be enveloped by the answer as if it's already happened. That's prayer. That's, then it's going to happen to your, your life. You're going to start reprogramming your heart and your heart will produce on its own to live life more abundantly. Good? All right, next slide. I don't remember how many I have. Is this it? Is that my last one? Yeah, okay. So I think you got it. Prayer's not begging. It's not. uh, And the easiest thing for me again, guys, is if I I put it in a husband-wife relationship or a father-son or father-daughter, when I say son, you're all children of God. It's not sexist or anything like that. uh, Because Paul calls, hey, there's no male, female, Jew, Gentile, we're one. God treats us all the same, which is really good, right? Um, <clears throat> because if you take a look at any religious system in the world, they typically beat women up pretty good. And uh, that's not what Christianity is supposed to be about. She's my co-equal in Christ. We're one. Follow me? Now, religious guys don't like that because it's easier to call them Jezebel. It's your fault, you spirit of Jezebel. Let me get some deliverance guys to tell you you're Jezebel and command that stuff out. 
Oh, Murray. Congratulations, Jeff Forrest. <laughs> Pretty exciting, huh? Yeah, and, and the, the Will Banks clang and whoever else. Who else is an Oklahoma fan? I can't, see, I can't see anything in here. So anyway, all right, prayers begging God to fix poor, worthless sinner. That's not who you are. Have you ever been that? No, you're one with him, a son, a child. That's what Jesus came to reveal. He's your dad, which got Jesus killed, by the way. We take it for granted, like, oh, yeah, he's our father. I'm like, I don't think you really believe that, because if he's, if he's your father, that means he birthed you, and in the Jewish culture, that means you're heir of everything in the house. Well, if we, this, is the, this is the God that can create these things that the Hubble telescope is showing us that are trillions of light years. Yeah, that's the creative ability that you have with me. Life starts to look a little different. At least you should take a little more seriously what you put in here. And so it is seen, enjoying who you are as a son of a loving father, perfectly spotless, loved, radically forgiven, and an heir. Man, if you could meditate on that. I'm perfectly righteous, spotless. I am the spotless bride Jesus came to reveal. I don't have to become. In fact, the message I was sharing with my friend, I said, the harder you try to be a good Christian, the worse it's going to get. You're going to get so frustrated and depressed because you go, God, I'm trying as hard as I can. That was Paul's dilemma. I do the things I don't want to do, the things I don't want to do, I do. What is wrong with me? But here's the great news of Romans 8.1. There's no judgment in Christ Jesus. and There's never been. He's never kept any record of wrong. The great Bema seat, the judgment seat of Christ is you're going to come face to face with perfect love And what's he going to tell you? I love you. So the judgment is this crisis. This crisis is literally says in Greek, it's a crisis. Meaning that when Jesus rose and he came to the Jews, even his disciples, what was their original crisis? Oh no. We killed this guy and he's back. (laughs) He must be God. What was their, what was their, what was the, what? So see the crisis, the judgment? They thought, Man, this God, if he was ever a time to be upset, now is the time, right? And what did he say? Fear not, shalom. That's the crisis. So they're gonna have this thing, man, I, did all the, I didn't do enough. It's like Peter when he caught all the fish, right? What was his answer? He was, he was, they were fishing all day and night. They toiled all day and night. This is the kingdom, guys. They toiled all day and night, and how many fish did they catch? Zero. And then Jesus says, do this. What does he tell them to do? Throw it on the right side. Where are we seated? On the right side in Jesus Christ. He's like, you don't receive things by toiling, guys. That's not how it works. Where do, how do you receive? When you realize you're seated with him in the position of honor, that you're worthy, valued, worthy to be blessed. But what was Peter's response after he caught in fish and mo- the net-breaking fish? That what, what was his response? He bends down and he goes, Away from me, I'm a sinner, not worthy of this huge blessing. Isn't that interesting? And Jesus reminds him, no, 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 you're worthy. Get up, get up. I'm trying to show you this is how the kingdom works. You guys get it? So toiling doesn't get it. Begging him in prayer doesn't get it. Revelation of who you are as a son, perfectly spotless, radically loved, forgiven, and heir, worthy to receive all the Father's blessings. He goes, I've, I've already blessed you with every spiritual blessing. You can't be more blessed than any of you are. You can't be anointed than any of you are. You can't be more loved than you are. You can't be any healthier than you are, richer than you are. So how do, we, how do we manifest it? Start planting it in our heart, and the seed itself will produce supernaturally after its kind. You guys get it? Please do this this week. You know, take some time. I know, and we, we, we do this all the time when I was doing the Think and Grow Rich. I was like, I know you guys don't do it, because I've seen you 
for 20 years we've been teaching this and a handful of people do it. Just be dumb enough to do it this week, please. Okay? That's kind of Arbonized secret. We're like, well, okay. They, they seem to have a pretty cool life. And what did you do? Well, this is what we did. We, we wrote it down. We meditated on it day and night. We started to see ourselves as already successful. We started hanging out with people that encouraged us, blessed us, told us who we were in Christ, not condemned us. And guess what? We went to sleep and then it started to work. And you can't boast in it because you go, I don't know. I don't know how it works. It's just like the seed, the seed in itself. And uh, oh, let me share one thing because this is, because we've been doing that Think and Grow Rich series, a lot of Christians are really struggling with um, making mammon their God. Follow me? And mentally, I think if they even thought through this a little bit, like I talked about, you're the richest people the world's ever seen if you grew up in this. The poorest of poor in the United States are typically the richest in the world. Top couple percent wealth. So that alone, um, but here's, here's, here's what I said, which kind of made sense to me. I was trying to think about, how do I explain this to people? Because what was really going on is you don't see anybody talking about that really except Jesus, and he's talking to typically an audience that believed that the Jews were pretty wealthy, right? And he warned them. He said, listen, uh, when, you go into this, when you go into this promised land, when you cross the River Jordan, you're going to be wealthy, and here's the challenge. You're going to think it's you. But it's a covenant I made with your fathers that I'm going to make you rich. So don't think it's that you're all that in a bag of chips. And when you see a, a Gentile or somebody or even a Jew that was poor, don't think they were cursed by God. So here's, here's the deceitfulness of riches. The deceitfulness of riches is they thought they were in the club because they were rich and all of their religious things. They prayed in open. They gave offerings in open. They did all these things in open. Go, look at me. God, why is this person... Who sinned, their father or him? He's like, doesn't work that way, guys. You guys get it? So that was the whole parable of Lazarus and the rich man. He goes, listen, they've gotten all their reward here because they've, they've been able to boast in this. Like, I'm a child of God. Look, at I'm a, God must be pleased with me because I'm rich in this poor thing being licked by the dogs because that was the worst you could be. Uh, and then he goes, here's the parable. It's, it's turned on you. Now, in reality, when, when, when Christ, how does he see Lazarus and the rich man? In truth, the same. This is the parable. He's trying to show them, like Baxter said it when somebody asked him, he goes, it's mic drop, guys. He's trying to show them that the Jews thought, wait, it's not how we thought. It's not our righteous works, etc." So when he's talking about the deceitfulness of riches, you can't serve God and mummy, mammon. Um, mammon, see, listen, they didn't want their temple system and their, their extortion of people and money and all these things to go away. And he goes, be careful how you hear because if you hear, some's going to fall on good ground, you're going to return 30, 60, 100 fold. But if you don't hear, and he quotes Isaiah, he's talking about the nation of Israel. There's hearing, but never hearing, seeing, but never hearing. Their hearts are hardened. He says, they're not going to understand who I am when I come share this thing. And even what they have will be taken away. It's not you. What did they have that was taken away? 40 years later, exactly when he prophesied, when all this stuff was going to happen, the temple system was taken to the ground. But the, the Jews who listened, who believed him in Matthew 24, says, when's this stuff going to happen? He says, when you surround Jerusalem, get out of here. And Josephus, a Jewish historian, said every believer in Christ who believed what he said when they saw the Roman army surround Jerusalem that left, not one believer was slain. And guess the, the symbolism in that is just beautiful. They hid in the rocks at Petra, into the rock. They were saved in the rock. It's just beautiful to me. Anyway, all the symbolism in that. So you guys get it? So you don't have to worry about 
And here's the other thing is, um, uh, we'll put it this way. All of you that have kids or grandkids, like I think about this as a father. Um, do you want your kids to do well financially? Is there any glory in going, man, I can't wait for them just to struggle their whole life financially? That would be so great for my kids and grandkids. How awesome. Because you can't serve God in money. Now, when I want my kids to do well, am I ever worried about, oh, they're going to love me less because they're going to start serving mammon? See, it's not about you. That's, that's, I want you to get this. Is what happens? The goodness of God actually makes them do what? Love more. It's the exact opposite of what these religious Christians are saying. I don't want to serve mammon. You already are then. Because you got this religious thing going on thinking that you're, you're, you're blessed or not blessed based on your behavior. That is not what's going on. He's telling the Jews, listen, you, you, you're, you're not it. You're not all that bag of chips. I did it just because it's a covenant. You were supposed to show what it looks like for all the nations is what it says. Because then Paul in the new covenant says this. I be, Jesus became poor so that you become rich. Right? No, you can't do that. So that's serving mammon. Well, then give up your job and give everything to the poor. That's what he's telling me. If you think it's based on your behavior, give it all, give it all away. Oh, I can't do that. Matter of fact, I was in that meeting of the Christian businessmen. And uh, what was he said? He said, uh, he said, um, uh, oh, I can't remember the exact verse. And then it was basically about, you got to give up everything. You can't, oh, it's harder for a rich man to go through into the kingdom than for a camel to go through an eye of a needle. He goes, we all got to remember that. I said, well, he told, if he says, based on your behavior, he says to give it all away. I said, you guys all drove here, didn't you? Well, yeah. I said, then you're, you're violating this. No, I, I, well, I kind of like my riches. It's anything over that that starts to become mammon. See how the hypocrisy? But if we don't understand scripture and who it's written to, we can get all twisted up in this. New covenant, Paul says, I became poor, Jesus Christ became poor, so that my kids can inherit my riches. And when we get it, when we're not struggling, when we truly see the goodness of God, we love him more. So don't worry about it. That's what I'm trying to say. You guys got it? All right, get to your feet. I went a little long, sorry. So, all right, hopefully you're getting this. Here's the in, bottom line is this. He's given us the secret of the kingdom so that our joy may be full. So we can, have, we can live a blessed life. <clears throat> so I don't care what's going on in the natural right now. Start to plant, if you're not enjoying it, then start to plant the exact opposite. See yourself, meditate on, hey, the first thing I think you need to meditate on is I'm perfectly righteous, I'm perfectly loved, I'm spotless, even in the middle of your quote-unquote bad behavior. Because I, I would venture this, do all of us have some bad behavior or at least bad thoughts that we still deal with today? Yeah, of course we do. And unless you're trying to, if you think it's based on that, unless you're repenting every second of the day, uh, you know that you can't get there on that. You have to accept the fact that in Christ, you're perfectly loved, perfectly righteous, radically forgiven, an heir, worthy, you're worthy. And the biggest challenge is most people have this huge behavior sin consciousness thing where they don't feel worthy and the creative part of your brain literally shuts down. And so the first thing that I would tell you is if you, can't, if you need to meditate on anything, go, man, I am loved. I am loved perfectly. And even in the midst of my quote-unquote bad behavior, I'm radically loved and blessed. Wow. He keeps no record of wrong because we keep records of wrong, don't we? About ourselves, typically. Is the, 
we beat ourselves up more than anybody. So that's the first thing is like, man, I'm worthy to be blessed. Start meditating on that. Everything that God has has already been given to you. You've been blessed with every spiritual blessing. You start planting that seed in your heart, guess what? You're gonna start feeling worthy to be blessed. Your things will start to come more naturally to you. You start to believe you can have good relationships. You start to believe you can have uh, whatever, whatever, the, whatever is life and life more abundantly to you. Whatever your desire, be enveloped by it so that your joy may be full. I mean, I think the scriptures are pretty clear about it, to be honest with you. That's why we sing it's a good father, because he is a good father. Fathers provide. So, and it really is just as simple as, oh, I, I, I re- homologio, confession is not, man, I'm not worthy to be blessed. Confession is, I'm gonna start seeing myself as you see me, Father, worthy to be blessed. That's true confession. Homologio, say this thing that God says about you. So meditate on the right things, guys. I'm telling you, the seed, the thoughts, you start repetitively thinking about that on a daily basis. Just please do it this week. Write it down if you need to. Get pictures if you need to. Start seeing it in front of you. Be surrounded by the answers if it's already done. And I promise you the seed has enough power to radically change every area of your life. And I know this, your joy will start to be more full and blessed. Amen? All right, so Father, we love you. We praise you. We magnify you. Let them see this, that the secret's been given. It's not hidden you said anything hidden will be revealed. There's, no, there's really no secret. It's just we've exchanged our sonship with religious things. And that's not who you are. That's not how you have relationships. You love us perfectly. You've radically blessed us with everything. Every answer we're gonna need, you freely provide. Every blessing you've already blessed and how we bring it out really from the spirit of every spiritual blessing is just guarding our hearts, making sure we know we're loved, we're radically forgiven, worthy to be blessed, and thinking about good things. How would a father treat his son? How would a husband treat his wife? That's what we're to think on, those lovely things. And our joy will be full in Jesus' magnificent name. Amen, amen, amen. Amen.